I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Thursday, August 27, 2020. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. What do we have on the docket today? We actually have a lot of stuff on the docket. We're going to get a little bit out of our lane a little bit later on. We had the Fed speech this morning. It was Jerome Powell's speech at the virtual Jackson Hole, Wyoming meeting. So guess what? Early in the morning, it came about 9 o'clock, so it was before the opening bell. The futures were trading down slightly, not a lot, just a few points. Guess what? After the Fed speech or after Powell's speech, they shot up, went to, but not necessarily all the way to and through the next big fat round number of 350 in the SPY and 3500 in the ES contract. The high of day today in the SPY happens to be 349.90. So they're playing games with the big fat round number. That's fine. Under normal garden variety market conditions, they're going to do the big fat round number. They never make it easy. They play games with it. They come close. They pull back. They spike it through. They keep going. People are expecting, or I should say traders are expecting them to pull back from the big fat round number. So they try and short it. But right here, what they're doing is playing games. Who sponsors the games? Trick Trap Fool and Frustrate Crew, also known as Trick and Company. For all intents and purposes, they did the deal at the big fat round number, 350. We were looking for 350. They were going to do 350. They didn't quite get there, but not to say they won't get there on Friday or maybe Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is. Potentially, we could see a gap over the big fat round number. Let's talk a little bit about the flip side. What if they don't do it? What happens if they leave it alone and start trading back down in the southern direction? That would be an ominous sign to come up 10 cents short of a fat round number, not do it, and go down. So I don't expect that to happen, but the awareness is it certainly can happen, and it would be an ominous sign. Just to put an image or a picture, which, as we know, is worth really a thousand words. I like to say a hundred words. This is a rodeo today, and here's nine o'clock in the morning. So this is the candle ending 9.15. So Fed speech begins at nine o'clock, Powell's speech, and the market shoots up, comes back down. And you know the Fed slash Kabuki theater rodeo ride. The high on the futures happens to be 34.98 and a quarter So they come up short of the big fat round number, trade away. And then you see we had what's called a shakeout operation around midday. We'll get to the shakeout operation. Let me address the horizontal line. It's at 347.75. I want to talk a little bit about that from an intraday perspective. That number was important from an intraday perspective. Not necessarily on a closing basis, but certainly closing above it couldn't hurt the bull case. We'll get to where that number comes from and why it was on the board a little bit later. Let's wrap up the daily chart. What jumps off the page of the daily chart other than the obvious? What's the obvious? Let's all repeat it together. Say it after me. The trend is your friend until it's not. That's right, until it's not. 
Are there cracks in the armor? Absolutely. Underneath the hood of the market, everything doesn't look the same as it looks on the daily chart. Does anything jump off the page other than the trend on this daily chart? Well, here we go again with time is more important than price. So what we like to talk about is, and I like to coin this phrase in terms of the charts, I like to look for as much of a full stack as we can get. What's a full stack? We're not talking about blueberry pancakes. We're talking about things that matter on the chart. So for example, if we're going to look for support or resistance, one thing and one thing alone isn't really enough to really make a trade off of, right? And isn't enough to allocate capital toward. Not if you're treating this as a business. As a business, we need more stuff. I like to call it a full stack because I like to have more things that are taught in the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader on our side when we're looking for signs and signal of a trend change, looking for resistance, looking for support. So enter time. Time is more important than price. Enter sign and signal of a trend change. Now, if you had both together, that's much more powerful than one or the other independent of each other. Right. Another aha moment. So here on the daily chart, we may have the makings of a half stack. Keep in mind, there's nothing wrong with the market. The trend is up. There's no sign of anything other than an uptrend. What I'm saying is when we're looking for or at least have the awareness that some kind of a turn slash top is imminent, whether it's tomorrow or two weeks from now, we don't really know. And I know I've been talking about that for several weeks now, but I didn't really think it was going to last this long. But guess what? The closer we got to Labor Day, the more apparent the melt-up was becoming. And guess what? The closer you become to Labor Day, the more magnetic the bull case in the market really becomes. We're in the summer doldrums, when there's no volume, a lack of participants, the summer doldrums really speak to sideways to higher prices. Well, we've been in the midst of a melt-up. We've seen the uptrending higher prices day in, day out. It will come to an end. There will be a pull-the-rug-out moment, open-the-trap-door kind of scenario. When it happens, everybody will have the deer-in-the-headlights look. There will be a media event something that either we haven't seen before or it will be recycled news that all of a sudden is now bad news once again. Same thing I always say, we don't anticipate it, we don't guess when it's going to happen, we just have the awareness that it is going to happen. It always does. When the markets are crashing or falling, they always find support. When the markets are melting up, they always have an end. The end could be for days, weeks, or months, but there will be an end to the current melt-up. How do we handle these situations? When we do identify the sign and signal of a trend change that says, hey, something just changed. The character within the market just changed. That gives us something to trade against meaning we can trade against that day's high, for example. Maybe it's a weekly high. It's a daily high. It's something to trade against where we know that we're wrong if, in fact, the market is now reversing and trading above what we thought was the reversal point. That's a way, A, we run it as a business, and B, we're able to lose small and fast 
if and when we have to lose at all. And it is a when. We're not going to win on every trade. We know that. What about that 347.75? Everything right of the vertical is today's activity. You already knew that too. What I want to point out is the importance of 347.75. Now, we spike below it and then we come back. When we come back, they retest it. They did it in the morning right here, got above it, came back for a test. Got below it in the afternoon, got back above it, went back for a retest, went back to the upside. It is important. Whether it's something on either side in terms of pennies on either side is irrelevant. It's the general concept of this general area or zone, give or take a smidgen, is important. Now, a smidgen when you're cooking is a little bit between your fingers and you spray it in the whatever. A smidgen in the market is a handful of pennies, just so that we're all on the same page. Smidgen is consistent. Now, here's an hourly chart. Again, you see the 347.75, and it's really quite simple. From an intraday slash short-term perspective, this is what we were looking at. We were looking at a market that on the 26th, which was yesterday, ran up and couldn't really get through for about three hours that price. Then into the end of the day, the futures actually spiked above that price. But here's the deal. They opened above today. They gapped up on the Jerome Powell comments, if you will. And obviously, that was a spark that sent the market up. But the market's been trending up. So guess what? It's looking for an excuse to go in that direction. When you're on a melt-up, the trend is up, any piece of news is generally seen as good news. Let's rally the market. That's the way it works. When the sentiment changes, the character changes, the exact opposite will take place. Every news will look like bad news. The same news that was no news slash good news two weeks earlier will be terrible news when it's a downtrending tape. So here's what happened. We couldn't get above that price yesterday. They got above it today, and what did they do? They came back to test what? The former breakout area. These happen on short-term charts. They happen on long-term charts. The market does the same routine over and over and over again. Today was somewhat of a rodeo. They spiked through it pretty good, but guess what? You'll read through the commentary in a moment from Inside the Numbers, and what you'll find is that until and unless they close hourly below 347.75, the bull case is alive and well. In fact, this is nothing other than another bullish, flaggish kind of pattern. One of these will fail. It will fail miserably, but we're not going to guess which one and when. Let's move over to inside the numbers. The pre-market commentary, they're doing the thing again. What's the thing? Well, you can see the image below. They're doing another bullish, flaggish kind of thing. This is what the futures did all night long. And what was it doing? It was setting up for the Powell comments after 9 a.m. After 9 a.m., there's the next picture. Look at this. Before the opening bell, 9.17. So here's the bullish, flaggish thing. And then guess what? Post-Powell speech. There's your continuation move. Again, it doesn't matter the reason why. It matters what the chart is telling you. They'll plug in the reasons after the fact. Early thoughts, pulling back a little overnight isn't anything more than a pullback. A lot of traders, when they see red on the screen, they think automatically the market's going to collapse. I have to be short. 
I'm gonna miss the entire move. You should see some of the emails I get. Let's keep the image below in mind. That was the one earlier. On an earlier shakeout, we had a number in the pre-market. It was 3462, 346.30. That was a spot of interest. You can see it right here at the bottom, right above the chart. Now, here's a 15-minute chart of the SPY. Let's have this conversation for a second. 346.30 was that number that was on the page. That was the low of a breakup candle. So we know that the market doesn't necessarily have to get to the low. It could spike through the low. It could come up short of the low. But running a test is that general vicinity. You never know exactly where they're going to stop each and every time. So where's the low of day? This is at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. 346.53. ES contract, the futures, this was the 3462 The low in the futures was 3464.75. Just saying that a number early in the morning that should be, would be, could be support is not necessarily off the table later in the day. It's a number for a reason. At any rate, let's move it along. And what you'll be able to do is pause the video, read the notes, go back to the chart and see what happened. What I'm going to do is basically scroll up and let you do it at your leisure If you're at all active in the market during the trading day, then I urge you, and I really super urge you, to consider whether or not a intraday tour guide is something that you can benefit from if, in fact, you're trading in the S&P 500. And by the way, even if you're not, what the S&P 500 is doing at any point during the trading day is a pretty good gauge for what the majority of the stocks in the major indexes are also doing. So for example, if the S&P is getting hit pretty hard in the morning, it's a good bet that there's a lot of stocks getting hit too. If by mid-morning they find a low and they start to rally, it's a pretty good bet that you're finding a lot of stocks rallying at the same time. So it helps to know A, your numbers of course, and B, what the current thing is going on in the S&P. At least from where I sit. A lot of the theme today was 347.75, then we had the resistance areas, but the market was basically centered around our pivot. And there you go, into the end of the day, around 3 o'clock, we're talking about the fact that it's nothing other than another bullish, flaggish kind of pattern. And then also a reminder of the ways that they may end up doing this thing. I called it unfinished business. Are they going to do it today? Well, apparently not. They didn't do it tomorrow. Gap above in the morning, we've seen that many, many times. Are they going to fail? Can happen, would be ominous. I'm not counting on it, but it's an awareness. And if they really are failing, then I know where the trap door is. And folks inside the numbers, we're going to follow them right in. How about stocks on the move? Pretty healthy list today. The top four are the ones that hit their objective. We'll take a look at B-I-L-I, Billy Billy. A-U-D-G-X and D-L-T-R. Guess what? We're going to look at Becton Dickinson and H-O-L-X too. In fact, we're going to look at BDX right now. You want to talk about a heartbreaker? What was the number on the board? The number, entry number one, 231.85. You see it down here in the corner. What was low of day? 232. We can attribute that not necessarily to front running. We can attribute that to the spread that exists in a big stock like this early in the morning. 
This is a heartbreaker. I had to pick myself up off the floor. I mean, what are we talking about here? This stock was at 248 same day. The takeaway? The numbers work. How about whole logic? How about 57.75? What was low of day? 57.94. Within a stone's throw, look at this rip higher. A high of 62.45. Again, same day. The takeaway? The numbers work. Just came up short. How about Billy? If you're painting by the numbers, you're buying half at number one, meaning 44.95, half at 44.34. Why are there two numbers close together? Because I can make the same case, an equal case for either number. 44.65 is the average, and here comes your little rocket ride up to a high of 45.79. Solid base hit into the gap. How about Anglo Gold? So this one was actually trading lower in the pre-market. The Fed Chair Powell makes his comments. His comments were centered around inflation, keeping interest rates low, I'm sure. And what's interesting is that gold collapsed and as did AU in the process. So first, gold pushed up on the comments. After the market opened, everything started to just get disjointed and reality started to set in so gold started to sell off and au came down they came into the number they went slightly below but ended up doing the deal anyway base hit not the greatest trade on the board but you know the deal we look at the good the bad and the ugly guess what a walk's as good as a hit too how about quest diagnostics so here i had an equal case three times over as it turns out The lower number, of course, was the number. Painting by the numbers, average of about 106.60. What happens after the fact? 111.80. That's off the wall, over the left fielder's head. Know thy numbers. Sometimes they take some time to get going. They're running a test. They're testing a number. Once they start closing candles, 15-minute candles, 30-minute candles... Then an hourly candle above some of these numbers. That's it. The test is over. How about DLTR? This one came up too close and had a tremendous rip away. However, it did the deal anyway. I'm not taking this trade after it does this kind of rally coming close to the number. Some traders don't care. Some traders took the trade anyway. Well, guess what? The second number, irregardless of what you did or didn't do with the first number, second number worked anyway. Where did it go? Went right back to the first number. The numbers are important. That's the point. We're not looking to marry these stocks. We're not looking to date them. We're not even looking to take them out for dinner. They're trading vehicles to make money. You're in, you're out, you book a profit, you protect your capital, and you move on. What's going on over in Camp IWM? And by the way, on a side note, why is it that the Fed wants to create inflation who benefits from inflation well there are some people there are some entities there are a faction of the country that benefits from inflation very wealthy people will benefit from inflation they don't really care when stuff costs more but they have assets that are being inflated at the same time so when you have assets they are getting inflated so you benefit from inflation But what happens to the majority of the country, like the 90 plus percent of everybody else? When stuff costs more due to inflation, do we benefit? 
Not really. Rent goes up. Do you benefit? No. Gas goes up. Do you benefit? No. The cost of cheese goes up. Do you benefit? No. The financial media seems to think it's a good idea that the Fed wants to create inflation. What that really means is they want to print more money. Why? Because they have no choice. It's the only tool they really have. They call it a hundred different things, but in the end, all they have is manipulation of interest rates. That's really it. Here's a picture of the 10-year note. It's a treasury bond. This is the actual interest rate chart, not the bond chart, just interest rates. Here's the 10-year bond. You could see bond prices were down. Interest rates were up. Didn't the Fed just say that they were going to keep interest rates zero? They were going to create as much inflation as they can? If that was true, wouldn't interest rates be going down? When I say if that was true, meaning I'm not saying they're not telling the truth. What I'm saying is the market isn't buying the story. It's the old buy the rumor, sell the news event. Here's a monthly chart of the 30-year rate. What was the low? The low was just over 80 basis points. That's under 1%. 30-year bond, under 1%. I would say that's probably a pretty good low. This is a real long-term view of how the bond market behaved. Lowering interest rates for years and years and years and years. Once they get to about zero, that seems to be a bottom. They're not going to go below zero. Forget the hocus-pocus, negative interest rates, all that stuff. All I'm saying is, when you look at the 30-year interest rate, and you think long-term, forget next week, forget next month, think long-term. For decades, this has been coming down. If, in fact, or let's put it this way, whenever the low is found, even if it wasn't the low already, let's just say it was or it wasn't, doesn't matter. The low is going to be somewhere in that neighborhood. At some point, they're going to start going in the other direction. What's another way to say that? They're not going to go down forever. It feels like they will, but that's not the case. Just like in the 1980s, it felt like interest rates were going to go up forever until they topped out, started going down. Here we are. Weren't we talking about Camp IWM? They're riding the 20-period moving average. Get below and start closing below, and there's a little trouble ahead. There's no trouble now on the daily chart. It's still in an uptrend. There's nothing wrong. Ultimately, there's nothing that says this can't be one of these right now, just hasn't broke out to the upside yet. But what happens if it doesn't? What happens if all of a sudden they start getting below and closing below the 20-period moving average? Then what's going to happen? Well, that's what's going to happen. They're going to start coming down lower. When that does take place, this is a weekly chart. We're going to remember that we still have a lower high scenario. I say it every night. Why? Because we have to remember it every day. I have to drill some stuff into your head so that it becomes like a walk in a park. Here's one. Go figure this out. So the RSP, which we've been covering pretty much every day now, the equal weight S&P, it was up about half a percent today, outpacing the actual S&P, which is top heavy and was actually up less on the day. How's that for a fine? How do you do? We're not going to make a federal case out of it. We'll just move it along. 
What about the folks down at the transportation department? Anything going on with these guys? No. They were up today, up three quarters of a percent. The trend is your friend. Nothing to see here. Move it along. Uh-oh. The folks out in Silicon Valley had a red day. Call the fire department. 56 cents, less than two-tenths of one percent. It's a rounding error. It's high on the chart. They are too far from home base. They can stay far from home base. We know that, but they're too far from home base. So ultimately, they'll either go sideways, let home base creep up the price, or they'll come down, correct a little bit, and come back toward home base. They always do that. Big day for the financials, up almost 2%. Why is that? They're sensitive to interest rates. So interest rates were on the rise today. What that means is when a bank lends you money, they have what's called a spread. They borrow money at one price and they lend it to you at a different price and they keep the difference. That's it. It's no different than any other business. They buy wholesale and sell retail. Where do they borrow money from? The Fed. The Fed has all you can eat. So when interest rates go up, some of the banks have variable rates, some have fixed rates, some have both. In fact, most have both. But when the variable rates go up or they sign new loans at a new interest rate that happened to be as of today, the bank by default just makes more money. They have more bottom line by happenstance. Just for being in the business, they get rewarded when interest rates go up. Not all the time, but most of the time. Until they go up too far, then everybody gets crushed. What about Smash Mouth? Here's a puzzle piece. Throw it on the table. Smash Mouth down two and a half bucks today. It's uptrending. They're above all the moving averages. It was just a down day, but it was a pretty good and decent down day. So therefore, we'll have it as a puzzle piece and we'll put it on the table. It's our table. We'll put which pieces we want where. The semiconductor space is a pretty good proxy for the tech space as a whole, so we need to be aware. We know that whole tech space is bloated. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you that without you, these videos are not possible? That is true and accurate information. I'm David Frost. We're going to pull the ripcord here today. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.